We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Today we're going to talk about two separate topics. One is going to be the the Lakers are not particularly good on the offensive end this year. They're actually pretty darn good on the defensive end, which is kind of the opposite of what we expected. We thought that a LeBron James-led team, and obviously he's been out, but that LeBron kind of guarantees you a top 10 offense, And uh, but there were a lot of questions on the defensive end. If they could even get to average, that would be a win. It's been flipped. We were wrong about that, and uh, the Lakers are 19th in offensive rating, and when you dig into the numbers, and before we get started, a lot of the numbers that you're going to hear, I want to shout out three guys. BJ Meta on Twitter. A lot of you guys follow him. If you don't, you should be. Garrett Brooks and Ralph Mason did a lot of the research for a lot of things that we'll be talking about. So wanted to shout them out. Thank you very much, guys. With the Lakers being 19th in offensive rating, we want to kind of explore the reasons why. So I guess with that, Darius, before we I, I get to all the numbers and whatnot that, that we've researched, what do you think from a, a broader perspective? Why aren't the Lakers really that good on the offensive end? I think they're built to play a certain way, and which is fast and which is in the open court. But I think... Any team that's built to play fast, no matter how you're built, you're not going to be able to play fast all of the time. And so earlier during the season, you and I had talked about just this like astronomical number in terms of how often or what percentage of the Lakers baskets were classified as transition baskets. And it, it hovered, I think, around like 20 or 21%, which is really an incredible number. I think at the time that we had discussed it earlier in the season, that was easily the highest number in the league and maybe one of the highest numbers like in the past several years. It was. When you think about it, though, that's still only 20% of their possessions. And so that doesn't mean like, oh, the rest of the possessions are half-court possessions, but predominantly their offense is still going to be predicated off of how they play in the half-court. And the way this roster was put together, and we've talked about this from the time that basically this was the roster that was set, is that the pieces don't fit all that great together in terms of being really complementary and especially a roster that is ideally suited to play around LeBron James. And so I think like big picture wise, They've got some duplication in skill sets. 
I think they have more shooting than what they've been given credit for, but they don't have like elite level shooting, not only as like in general across the roster, but even with like one or two like specific players who were treated like elite shooters, like a JJ Redick type, for example. And I think that even though they have playmakers, they don't necessarily have playmakers who are natural ball movers. And well, l- l- let's talk about that real quick, Darius, because sure. that was part of the big selling point of this roster construction. They had the three guys from last season that were in the top 10 in assists from the year before. That's the first time that that's ever happened with Lonzo, Rondo and LeBron. And then you've got these wing guys like like Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma, who can handle the rock a little bit. Lance Stevenson. Inside of Lance Stevenson. Yeah. Right. You got this conceptually the idea was like we we don't want to be the Cavs we don't want to replicate what they did with LeBron and and over overly relying upon him and we don't want to try to beat the Warriors at their own game so we really want to leverage this shot creation passing type of style but the Lakers their passing is actually down last season it was 282.1 passes per game this year it's 271.7 so that's a little over a 10 pass per game difference they actually have more assists they're up by 0.8 per game from last year which kind of speaks to LeBron's like singular ball dominance like LeBron's going to create the shot there may not be a lot of passes on a particular possession but LeBron's individual presence can just break down the defense kick it out to the open guy the kind of simple drive and kick type of basketball that that he's done a lot of in his career but why do you think the Lakers have not been able to really leverage that idea Mind you, Rondo's been out too, but with Lonzo and Rondo and LeBron and Stevenson and and all of that into this team that really takes advantage of all of the shot creators they have. Well, I think that assists are an interesting stat, right? Got to make the shot, right? (laughs) Yes. Well, also too, that assists end a play and guys who often tally high numbers of assists, they are essentially finishers if that makes sense. Uh So I don't mean finishers in terms of shot makers. I mean that they are diagramming and playing out an action within a team set in order to design the play that's going to create the final basket. So Rondo to me is a perfect example of that. Rondo's been criticized over a fair amount of his career, but especially I would say in the last like four to five years as being sort of this assist hunter, right? That he will pound the ball a fair amount. He'll sort of do like that hockey dribble that Steve Nash made famous where he's dribbling behind the backboard and circling the paint some. And he's just sort of looking for the opening in order to create an assist opportunity. And that's all well and good in order to try to get a basket, but there's more ways to create shots than that. And so when I mentioned earlier that the Lakers have a lot of playmakers, but don't have a lot of ball movers, they have guys in that Rondo mold. LeBron is like that. Rondo is like that. I think Lance Stevenson is like that. I think that Brandon Ingram is like that as a passer, shifting more in that direction than he was like, say, his rookie season. And when that happens... These guys are naturally on certain levels like ball stoppers. Yeah. Is it one of those things, you know how the old uh, saying in basketball is there's only one ball, right? And we usually apply that to scorers. Can that be kind of applied to this brand of passers that the Lakers have? I think so. Well, 100%. Like Russell Westbrook and James Harden are like that too. Yes. Right? And they're two of the more dynamic offensive players in well, well, in the league, Russ is having a down shooting year, but but he's still among the league leaders in assists. And look at how other teams treat him. He's still treated like one of the most dangerous offensive players in, well, in the league. So, look, you can be a ball-dominant player and be an elite player. LeBron has been that his entire career. And Kobe was like that as well, right? Like, those guys can be the centerpieces of elite offenses. What I think we saw with the Warriors and maybe in like the Spurs heyday as well is that though that there's more than one way to skin a cat and I think Luke Walton comes more from that Warriors Spurs pedigree than like the Mike D'Antoni one right where or at least the Houston version of Mike D'Antoni where there's going to be a lot of seeking out 
advantage with a singular player and then leveraging that advantage to create either a shot for that player with with the ball or one pass away. Yeah, it's like D'Antoni, even back to his Phoenix days, this is overly simplifying it, but it's it's a high ball screen offense with a really great high ball screen player. And just that simple thing, even if you know it's coming every single time, is going to be something that's going to break down your defense more often than not. And to your point about that style, you know, you brought up, Westbrook and Harden is being examples of being similar to LeBron and Rondo in that style of player. The Lakers have made the third fewest passes in the NBA at 271.7. The two teams that have made fewer are the Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. So that speaks exactly to that point of, and and two very good teams, by the way, right? Uh, Like you don't necessarily have to swing the ball around 300 times to be able to to be a good offense if, if you build around that. But to what you're talking about, does that jive with what, what Luke wants to do? Because he's always talked about that, but that's been something I've complained about in last year, Darius. Remember when I was like, you know, he says he wants to have 300 passes a game. Why are we at 280 or 275? You know, like, his, has he been able to implement his style or even can he do that on a team that has th- those type of guys you were talking about, that LeBron and Rondo, who are really the exact opposite of that style, theoretically? Or even like, look, at the time that we're recording this, Kyle Kuzma is coming off of a 41-point game. And Luke lauded him for his shot-making. But he also chided him for being the guy who wasn't moving the ball. <laughs> yeah, I was in that pre- post-game press conference, and like his mood was like, yeah, 41's cool, but you know, he had zero assists. And I'm like, come on, man. This is like smush after the Kobe game of 81, right? You know, where he's like, yeah, we, we played a great team game. I, I don't know. Like, it, there's a certain there's hipsterdom t- to that. Yeah. Yeah, and some of that is tongue-in-cheek, I'm guessing, too. And Luke, I feel like, never misses an opportunity to, you, you know, rib some of his guys. Um, That's fair. But That's along fair. the same mm-hmm. same lines, even the most playful ribbing typically comes from a place of truth yeah, from, yeah. <laughs> from, from a guy, right? Yeah. So I'm guessing Luke really is sort of just like, look, you, you, you know, we know that Kyle can do that. We know that he can put up points and 41 and three quarters is an amazing offensive showing. But the flip side of that is that if you're always the guy who's finishing the play by taking a shot, then you're not often going to be the guy who's moving the ball on to potentially an open teammate. And I think in the big picture, Luke is never going to miss an opportunity to reinforce some of the teachings or foundation that he wants to build with any team that he's coaching. And so right or wrong, and whether or not that's like the right moment to sort of throw that in there, right? And like the right example, it still, I think, speaks to the idea that we're talking about here in that Luke is still, I feel like, trying to find ways in order to get his guys to play more towards the style that he wants to see from them, even if it doesn't necessarily always align with what the strengths of his individual players are. And I'm going to say this in the only way I know how. Everyone wants to win. Most successful people want to win their own way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right? And not everybody's on the same page on how, how to do that, for sure. So you you brought up earlier about the shooting. So I think there's a fair point of what you're saying, especially regarding the young players, right? Like, Luke is not bending Rondo's ear or LeBron's ear of like, now you really should make the extra pass, right? Like he's trying, there's, this is an element of player development within a broader team, right? So LeBron's going to do what he does. Rondo's going to do what he does, but Kuzma, if he's not the primary guy, and, and this is true of all of the not primary ball handlers, they are going to be, you want them to make that extra pass to move it along. He talks about it with Brandon in a different way, right? He wants those, you know, 18 and 8 and 6 type of nights from him, right? Where he's kind of doing a little bit of, of everything. But regarding shooting, which you brought up earlier, the Lakers have KCP at 36.6% on catch-and-shoot threes, and then Josh Hart at 36.8% on catch-and-shoot threes. Both good numbers, not setting the world on fire, but that's that's good. Bro, nobody else at any significant sample is above 32% on catch-and-shoot threes. Can you play this 
type of style where it's built off of individual player gravity, ultimately without those guys that are knocking them down. Because like we, we may say all we want that they're they're a better shooting team than they are, but they're just not knocking them down at, at a good enough clip. This is the crux of the problem, or one of them, and it reinforces the idea that I think you and I pushed back against some at the start of the season, where it's just like, well, you know, like they, like, I think they're sort of underselling the Lakers shooters. And the fact of the matter is, is that Hart, I feel like, has regressed as a shooter some this year. Kuzma, or I, so let me say this if not regressed, he is not, as the volume has gone up, I don't think his success rate has kept pace with what it was at a lower volume and we and brandon ingram's you you know the 39 percent number on two attempts a game that's now low 30s on the same number of attempts a game kuzma is hovering around 30 percent and we're halfway through the season now kcp closed the year basically as an over 40 percent three-point shooter and he's not approaching those numbers in the first half of this season. And so I think the trajectory of the shooters that the Lakers thought they had has not been in line with what expectations probably were internally for them this season. And that to me is one of the key issues here. And just like you said, like, look, with the type of playmakers the Lakers actually have, If LeBron is posting up on the left block and he is sort of surveying the court and the weak side help defender who is supposedly guarding the opposite wing is pinching towards the lane line and the player who is defending the top of the key area is pinching towards the foul line, LeBron knows that either the one pass away for the open three-pointer is there, or he's going to manipulate the defense so that he can make that skip pass. If those guys do not hit that shot, there's really nothing else to do. Yeah, like they have to hit that shot at a competent rate or it all falls apart. Yes, because that is the shot that LeBron is angling for. You you know, LeBron doesn't want to shoot a 16-foot or 18-foot fadeaway jumper over his shoulder fading baseline. That's not the shot that he wants. Mm-hmm. What he wants from that post-up position is to shoulder his man and get middle and either get a layup or a dunk, or he wants to bait the defense to think that's the move that he's going to make, draw them in a step or a step and a half too far, and then throw the pass. That's going to lead to an open three-point shot. And to the point that you just made about those well, those numbers, for open catch-and-shoot threes, you want guys who are shooting you know, a percentage, a percentage and a half, or two full percentage points above league average. Yeah, you want, you want high 30s you, on that, you right? You want them in high 30s or flirting with 40 or 41%, mm-hmm. right? Especially from the corners. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's one thing to, to shoot... 37 or 38 percent from like the bend of the break the shoulder area that i like to call it Mm -hmm. because you you know that's that's a long deep three-pointer and to shoot that at like 37 or 38 percent on catch and shoot like i'll take that every single day as well as the top of the key but from the corners you know josh hart shot something like 50 percent on catch and shoot threes from the corners last year and i think kcp was like i want to say like low 40s from that spot too so there's work to be done from those guys especially from those specific spots on the floor and if they're not going to hit at that rate then the offense is going to be essentially league averagey And this is the story for me of the second half of the year, whenever LeBron comes back, is when we zoom out and think about what's important about this season, obviously we want them to go as far as they can, but we've said a few times that in some ways this is a tryout for 
when they really hit the ground running, hope knock on wood, they get that second max guy, however they go about doing it, and really make a run to try and win an NBA championship next year. This year is a tryout for that to see who fits and who doesn't. And my concern is specific to the young core in this respect outside of Josh Hart. I think Josh's percentages have dropped since LeBron and Rondo have been out of the lineup. The types of threes that he's gotten have gotten harder. But I think that if you get Josh open threes, he's going to hit them at a pretty good clip as the 36.8% that he's shooting on catch and shoot threes illustrates. That number was probably closer to 40 prior to LeBron going down. But I have a hard time seeing the sustainability of Lonzo shooting 31.5% on catch and shoots, of Kuz shooting 32.4, of Brandon at 28.3, having all of them, like it's not it's not one guy, but the cumulative effect of the the next three most important guys not being able to make that shot alongside LeBron, I think that that's like if that does not resolve itself or improve over the course of the second half of the season, even Anthony Davis aside, if they really want to make a run for it next season, you probably can't have three guys like that playing yeah, really you, critical mm-hmm. roles in order to win a title. So ranking them, Kuzma, Ingram, and Lonzo, who are you least to most worried about being able to fill that? Uh, most worried about Ingram, uh, least worried about Kuzma. My reasons for that are the mechanical aspects of getting a catch-and-shoot jumper off. This is part of my frustration. You know, I went on my 22-tweet thread about how I don't like how the Lakers have developed Ingram. The biggest issue with Ingram is he cannot get up the amount of volume necessary. Like, there are some threes that he can't take without them becoming legitimately contested threes that other guys can get up quicker. It takes him longer to shoot a three-pointer than it takes the other guys because he's got some sloppy footwork in that he often has his right foot behind his left and has to step into that to get that up. And then an elongated kind of two-part jumper. He doesn't have a a smooth motion like a Kawhi Leonard, who's a guy, or even a Rudy Gay, who are guys with comparable wingspans. He has to gather every element of that wingspan in order to get that up. So that's why I'm concerned with him the most. I'm concerned with Kuzma the least in that we've seen him do this very well before. I think he's got a couple of tweaks and and he even mentioned, and I'm going to ask him about this next time they're in town, is he's seen some things on tape that like he's done this well at a high volume as a rookie. And I I think I'm more confident he can get back to that. Lonzo, he's almost a different case than the other two in that like he's either like great at that or he's terrible and unplayable at that and so like there's going to be times where he doesn't have it and defenses aren't respecting him at all so that that's going to be a problem but I think that he can get he he can have those four for eight type of nights like he had against Dallas a couple games ago so uh, how how about you man where do you rank kind of that from a long-term concern of them being able to eventually get it I actually have like little well, little to no concern about Kuzma, to tell mm-hmm. you the truth. I just think that part of the reason why I actually don't have a lot of concern about him is that he shoots such a high volume of threes that I think that that's going to help the gravity of it all, which I think is going to open up things in ways that players who don't shoot at a high volume or even if they do, don't sort of gen- generate the same gravity as him. They can't grease the wheels of an offense in the same ways. I have little concern about how Kuzma would fit in most lineups around like a LeBron-centric team or like a LeBron and Anthony Davis-centric team or a LeBron and name any other sort of elite sure. wing, right? Well, like, be- because of like the game that he had where he had 41 and three quarters without a single isolation or post-up possession used. That's all off ball, man. No, with the exception he had one pick and roll possession where he got his shot block, recovered it and put it back. But like he can score off of other guys, which is essentially what you're saying there. Yeah, I'll say say this too. Even in the game that he went for for 20, like the shots that he was taking, I thought he should have turned down some of those shots after <laughs> it was pretty clear that he didn't have his shot going. But when you look at how defenses were treating him, they were still running at him. Yeah, you, no, know? you always like, have to respect Kuzma. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, you, you know, he was four for 18 and like here comes a defender rushing out at him you know what i mean they like they never were treating him like okay prove it right like prove that you can hit that shot you're four for 18 prove it absolutely right like 
there were no batting practice fastballs. You know what I mean? So I have little concern about Kuzma. Lonzo's a complete wild card to me when it comes to this. Not like not only because one night he can literally go five for seven from three and the next night he can go 0 for seven, but just because I'm still not exactly sure like how defenses treat him in games that matter and whether or not the way like his understanding of how to play the game can then trump that. If that makes sense, right? So, can he counter it? Can he be clever enough to overcome? Like, because, like you said, with Kuz, he doesn't get prove it shots. Lonzo gets prove it shots all the time. He gets prove it shots all all of the time, and there are times where he looks like, oh, well, I should shoot this, but you know what? Like, let me dart into a certain space, and then now the defense is like, well, holy hell here comes a guy sort of getting downhill a little bit and that changes the angles and then suddenly he kicks it out and then maybe he pops back out to open space and then they pass it back to him and suddenly now whatever sort of prove it idea existed literally just two and a half seconds ago he's got a defender sort of taking a false step towards him and then he moves the ball right back to the guy who passed it to him and now that guy's got an open three you know like Bro, Rondo won a championship playing just like that on offense. Like, he just has an ability to play chess a little bit within certain possessions. And I say that for Lonzo because I'm not even sure if he's thinking it out that mm-hmm. way yet. I think he's getting think better that on that, but I totally agree. It's feel. Like, 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 he's still so young that it's just sort of instinct. Like, the way that his mind works and what his instinct is to how to move around the floor. I think that there exists a little bit of like a trump card for him on how he's going to sort of be like, oh, well, you're trying that. Well, just let me do this. And then now suddenly there's a little bit of chaos. And as we've said about Lonzo from from the beginning, he sort of thrives in chaos because Mm -hmm. he sees things clearly. It's like the like Mr. Crab meme, right? Where everything is shaking, but (laughs) but 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 Lonzo's got seemingly like like 2020 vision. Uh huh. So it's interesting. Ingram is the guy where I am just not 100% sure if where he's going to or where or when it's going to turn on for him that he's going to have to basically become a guy who's shooting four to five threes a game. Because people labeled him as like, oh, like... Uh, Kevin Durant light and right it's just like the skinny body and this this that and the other like he's trying to play more like Giannis mm-hmm. <laughs> than he is like Kevin Durant at this I, point I think that plays more to his natural skills too it's just a matter of does that fit alongside LeBron yeah or does that fit on any team that isn't built a very specific way like we point to this a lot but like I mean Giannis I don't think it's any coincidence that Giannis's production has gone up even in incremental ways this year. Obviously, he improves every year, so I don't want to just credit it to to this. But I think that Brooke Lopez has been really helpful for Giannis. Absolutely. And I don't think it's any coincidence that some of the best basketball that Ingram was playing last year was when he had the ball in his hands a ton because Lonzo was out. And he was playing a lot of minutes next to Brooke Lopez, too. Spacing, um, man. It's all spacing. Right? It's like, it's spacing, it's angles, it's all of this other stuff that really plays to his strengths in ways that I'm not exactly sure how that translates long-term in general on any team that's not being built specifically for him. Now, that being said, Ingram is in his third, well, third season, and as a believer in him, I just think that, like, you give any player who works hard and who has a baseline of talent a summer or two to refine things or tweak things in meaningful ways when it comes to mechanics or aspects of their game that they really want to focus on and improve and I think that players with a certain baseline level of talent are going to be able to do will will to do that and it's where I just think that in 
two or three years, we might be looking at Ingram and maybe the shot mechanics are cleaner. Maybe the footwork is a lot better. Maybe some of the things that you're discussing and that we've discussed offline and online that are real critiques about sort of where he's at with his game, maybe those things improve by 5, 10, 15%, you know, over the course of a single summer or two summers. And suddenly some of those holes aren't quite as big anymore. And that's great, but we're also talking to, like, even me saying that, that's like three years from now. Yeah, we right? got that time, man. And and what frustrates me, Darius, is that, like, I feel like some of this should have been addressed already, right? Like, I don't expect him to be flying around screens like he's Paul George knocking down threes, but seeing, like, this kind of cockback two-part shot and the footwork issues, things like that in year three, I don't think it's unreasonable to have expected more of those things to have been addressed by now, but I feel like the focus has been on like his his ball handling, his ability to be an on-ball type of player, right? So like yeah, in that well, Dallas game, he had a lot of like really great ball handling moves. You see these inside-out dribbles and these double crosses and hezzies and all of that. That's great. It's just like, I don't feel it's as relevant growth as with alongside LeBron as it would have been had he worked more on his catch-and-shoot mechanics. Sure, but they didn't have LeBron. Well, they had LeBron after July 1st at the very least. Well, they did, but, you know, they haven't... So, I wrote about this. They were grooming him to be their LeBron. Right. That's true. In- Ingram was drafted num- well, well, number two overall. They've given him more than just spot minutes at point guard, right? His first two seasons. Even as a rookie, they had him doing that. And that's not by accident, man. Like... They weren't just like, oh, well, here's our 6'9 forward. Let's just give him the ball, right? Like, whether or not you think it was doing Brandon a disservice, it was all part of a bigger picture idea that they were building a point forward for their roster. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that they that they wanted the most versatile forward that they could have. And... That's what they've been building him to be. Now, I will say this. What are going to be the points of emphasis over this summer? Because, look, they have Brandon Ingram now. For all the, oh, well, he's just trade bait. Or they're going to get player X. Or they're going to get player Y. Okay, like, that's all nice to say. They've got Ingram now. And they're going to have to figure out a way to say... Brandon Ingram is a part of their long-term plans until he's not. And they have to act like he is until he's not. And so what is going to be the path that they place him on moving forward? And honestly, for all of the talk about next to LeBron, you need X. And these are the types of players you want next to LeBron. Long-term... If they envision still a roster five years from now that may or may not have LeBron James, but may still have Brandon Ingram, what are they developing Brandon Ingram to be? And that is a real question that I think the Lakers still must operate under those types of scenarios that don't just involve, well, what is the best way to build around a LeBron James team over the next two two or three years? I understand that that's very pressing and it's super important. And that takes a huge priority. Like most things in life, man, like there's not just one priority. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, you have to navigate a bunch of different... There's, but... and, and sometimes those things are in competition with each other. And sometimes you have to try to find a way to operate on parallel paths that don't always align perfectly and try to get the most out of, well, both of these things. And it's hard, man. That's all true. I would say in, in response is that Brandon Ingram learning how to catch and shoot is going to be relevant five years from now too. If they're exactly, I I, I don't think it's like, I don't think that's really on their radar necessarily, at least not nearly as much as 
let's try and win a title with LeBron while we still have the window to be able to do that. But it's not like what could be helping short-term wouldn't be enormously beneficial to him long-term. In fact, with the way that he attacks closeouts and scrambling defenses, that should be priority number one no matter what. Because if he can get guys closing out hard to him, it's curtains because he can get all the way to the rack or he can drive and kick. It's just that like teams aren't going to respect that as much. You mentioned, and appropriately so, that Lakers have been developing Brandon to be their LeBron. And in this time that LeBron and Rondo have been out, in the overall idea of like what the offense has been like and why it hasn't been as good, I've noticed with him more than even Lonzo or Kuzma, they're basically asking him to be LeBron to fill in for him in the same type of role, right? This team that does not move the ball a whole lot, but is built around the individual gravity of one player that with LeBron out has been transferred onto Brandon's shoulders. I think he's struggled with that. Is that, do you think that that's an accurate assessment of what they've been doing? And if he's had a hard time with that, what do the Lakers have any other options at this point in time with LeBron, maybe not coming back for another week or even more? I agree that they've been, that's what they've been doing. I think it's been super evident late in games because they've been pulling Lonzo for like KCP or for Hart or something like that, right? In mm-hmm. order to surround Brandon with more shooters. Even in that game that Kuzma missed, Lonzo didn't close. They mm-hmm. had like KCP out there. I think they might have even put Lance out there for like a possession or two. And I agree that he struggled. I think the only real alternative is to probably put the ball in Lonzo's hands more. I think that that gets a little bit complicated based off the fact that Lonzo can't make free throws. Sure. <laughs> and right, like, like, yeah, that's, and Ingram's yeah. not much better. So, but I think that Lonzo's inability to hit free throws actually creeps into other parts of his games in games that are close late. Right? Like, I think that it freezes things up in ways that I don't think Luke likes. Now, is the better alternative than just to isolate Ingram at the top of the floor? I don't think that's it either. This is where I think if there is a criticism, I feel like I take hits on this because I don't criticize Walton enough. But one of the things that I'm not very fond of is this idea that we started this pod source sort of talking about this idealism that we think luke has about formulating an offense but yet in late game situations he is not moving his team in that direction even when lebron and rondo aren't around so he is not getting more creative offensively he is not stressing more ball movement he is taking one of his best ball movers off of the floor and ultimately he's riding around with Brandon Ingram sort of pounding the air out of the ball at the top of the circle. And, and that was the same thing that they did last year. They just had better spacing with Brooke Lopez. And even even though Julius wasn't a like spot-up threat necessarily, his ability to handle the ball on the perimeter, you could put him in a perimeter position and he could get two dribbles and get all the way to the basket on a finish. So like that's not out of character for Walton. And I've always thought that like the idea of who Luke is as an offensive coach, while being very good as a defensive coach the idea of Luke as an offensive coach is not matched up with the reality of what he's actually been I think that the same can be said for his mentor Phil Jackson Mm, that's fair um to a certain level right like everyone associates Phil with oh triangle this and triangle that well in late game situations what did he do man like he gave the ball to Michael Jordan at the top of the circle and told him to go get a shot And he did the same thing for Kobe Bryant after Shaq was gone. When he had Gasol and Kobe, or he had Kobe and Shaq, he ran a ton of late game pick and roll between Kobe and one of those big men. It's like Phil, for for all the, you know, big chief triangle stuff that Phil Jackson carries with him, he would definitely go iso ball or two-man game which is very sort of traditional NBA stuff, right? And sort of outdated stuff that we consider outdated now in like the analytics era. Yeah. So maybe it shouldn't surprise is what I'm saying. That Walton is maybe taking a page from that same thing. Like, I mean, he played with Kobe and 
played under Phil, right? Like maybe this is more in his wheelhouse, especially when it comes to late game stuff. I don't think that that changes what his overall mindset is about sharing the basketball and all of that because he does seem very egalitarian when it comes to that. After all, Luke was like a role player whose dad was Bill Walton, right? Like Luke as a player himself was this guy who played off a feel and loved to pass and all of that. And so I definitely think that's in his DNA. I'm just saying that like most people, it's complicated. All that's well and good. Then don't give the kid crap for dropping 41 and not getting an assist. You know, like if, if that's your ethos or or understanding of, you know, that, you're going to give the ball to your best players or the guy who can put the ball in the bucket. Like I understand wanting to encourage those greater, you know, tendencies and whatnot, but I don't know. That rubs me the wrong way a little bit because he does not encourage that ball movement as an overall philosophy within how he coaches offense. So anyway. Yeah. I would say too, that it's just like, look, one of the things that I will say about Luke is that, and maybe this is another thing that he learned from Phil Jackson, but not everyone plays by the same rules. Right. You're not going to coach Kobe Bryant the same way you're going to coach Roni Turioff or Josh Powell or someone well, like that. Yeah. Well, even like last season, he didn't coach Larry Nance the same way that he coached Julius Randle. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he doesn't coach... <laughs> well, I'm just saying. And he's No, no, sure, you're not wrong, man. You're not wrong. And he doesn't coach Kyle Kuzma the same way that he coaches Brandon Ingram. Like, different players get a little bit different stuff in terms of points of emphasis and what he thinks matters to them and in the moment and all of that man which is very much again from that phil jackson school for better or for worse i'm not saying that that's the right way or the wrong way i'm just saying it's the it's it's it's, it's seemingly the <laughs> it's the way yeah bro and that's life too right like that's generally how life works outside of basketball too so one last thing I wanted to ask you about with the Lakers being as injured as they have been, you know, I can't help but kind of fantasize the, hey, when we get everybody back, dot, dot, dot. So in that vein, when we get everybody back, what do you think the rotation should look like? I don't even know, man. Rondo's going to play. <laughs> so so let, let, let's let's pick it apart. The same starting lineup of Lonzo, Brandon, Kuz, LeBron, and JaVale. Do you want that? I'm perfectly happy rolling with that. I think that in the long term, that's probably, if you swap, I think JaVale for Chandler, that's probably their best defensive lineup. Or like maybe if you swap Kuz for Hart, but then, you know, you lose offense there. Like, I guess I'm fine rolling with that. The lineup data would tell you Hart instead of Ingram is probably the way to go there. But yeah, let's just say that's been the lineup most of the year. And because health is banged in to that, like, I don't think Luke is going to be in the second half of the season switching things up. Uh, Yeah, that's where I'm at too, man. Like, you know, my feelings on having Hart in the starting lineup, not because he's a better player than Brandon, because I don't think that he is. I just think he fits better. But I agree with you. And Luke even said this yesterday that like, they've wanted to try more things than they've been able to as a result of the injuries. And as they get later into the year, and the games become, you know, you're in this playoff race and all of that, the, hey, let's see if this works type of things are going to happen less and less. And that's understandable. So yeah, I think within games, I think he'll find ways to tweak his rotation some in order to get better looks at specific lineups. Right. But I don't think that's going to come with the starting group. All right. So let's talk about the bench then. Let's let's cut to the chase because we know what we're talking about here. Michael Beasley or Lance Stevenson? I actually think Michael Beasley. I do too. Why? why? He is just, he is the more consistent scorer. I think that he is actually the I don't want to say he's the better passer, but he's the better ball mover. But overall, I just think that he makes the quicker decision. And his decision-making overall is probably better. But even if that was a tie or neutral, I want the guy who makes quicker decisions. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. And I think that a big part of that is because I think the Lakers need more finishers. There are a lot of times where... 
they'll create a perfectly good shot with ball movement or with that individual gravity that we were talking about earlier. And then they just miss that open shot, right? And like Beasley's going to put the ball in the bucket. If you put him in an advantageous position, he's got really soft touch around the rim. He's got a, a solid jump shot, just like a really nice offensive package. And then, like you said, the passing, his ability to hit guys out of the short roll or drive and kick, drive and dish to, you know, to a big for a dunk. Those are all things that those quicker decisions and making the right decision like Lance has his place and Lance has been a lot better than I thought he was going to be this year I, I don't want this to be a knock he's been a Lance. good player yeah Lance he's been, been a good pl- he's, he's been, been a totally good player and, and so I'm not on some like mission to get Lance out of the lineup however possible I just think that Lakers need somebody to put the ball in the bucket and Beasley's that guy so we're well in a I think mode. that on most nights and I think this is a perfectly fair statement but on most nights Beasley is going to have a matchup advantage more often than Lance's. That's a good way of putting it. And I'm all about seeking out advantage more. Like, I think Lance has a great ability to sort of generate advantage within the context of where things are sort of like up in the air a little bit. He does that little shoulder shake or a step back, and then he sort of gets guys on skates a little bit, and suddenly things get a little bit wonky and it's just like oh there goes Lance and it's fun it's fun to watch and then also too like good things happen out of those possessions and there's a certain amount of unpredictableness Mm -hmm. that comes with Lance like for better or for worse but when he's got it going it's totally great and I think it helps the team in a weird way though I'd rather, or not even in in a weird way, I think I'd just rather have the more steadiness of Beasley. And honestly, I think that they should probably be in a platoon, if that makes sense, like to use a little bit of a baseball term. So so when's the right time to use Lance as opposed to Beasley then? I just think that you probably scout it based off of lineups and like what works and what the opposing team, especially from their defensive front court, like what they're sort of throwing out there as like a backup four or five type of guy. Like A, can Beasley defend that player? And then B, is Beasley going to have an offensive advantage? Most nights, I think Beasley is going to have an offensive advantage. But I think that if the defense is going to be an issue, you probably just continue to roll with LeBron and Kuzma in those spots and maybe just play the extra wing. You know. I don't see it. I don't see it really as a platoon situation, and not necessarily due to those two guys, but what the rest of the bench looks like, especially with how Luke rolls out his rotations of generally like like he'll he'll mix and match sometimes, but he oftentimes likes to have five bench guys on the court at once, and with two of the other guys being KCP and Josh Hart, with Rondo being the other guy, like. Once you get Lance alongside those three guys, that's a really small group, no matter who you have at the five right there. I think that Beasley provides a requisite amount of size that I think is helpful at the very least in that lineup that even in ideal circumstances for Lance, if he's going to be alongside those other three guys, that becomes, you run into some issues there. Can I ask you a question then? Yeah. What do you think of the KCP heart pairing as sort of like an anchor for the bench unit. And if they're playing next to Rondo, then if those three guys are basically your wings, would you prefer to roll with Beasley at like power forward and then like Chandler or Zubots? Or would you prefer that Ingram play in that spot in in order to stagger more minutes against LeBron? No, that's a really good question. I actually like that lineup with Beasley in that spot. Now, I think once we get to the playoffs and it, you know, that may be more of the time where it's sometimes Beasley, sometimes not, but the idea of Rondo and four finishers, the two best catch and shoot guys on the team and KCP and Hart, Beasley as a versatile scorer and then, you know, Tyson Chandler or Zubats as your role man and the way the center I the center rotation's a little bit different because of JaVale only really being able to go in spurts. Like sometimes that'll be JaVale and four bench guys, right? But I think that Rondo with finishers is a good idea at the very least. Now, I don't think Ingram's a bad idea within that, but I think maybe you run into some of the same issues of your turn, my turn with Rondo and Ingram. And I wonder if Rondo would kind of 
minimize Ingram too, and in the similar way that LeBron can in terms of dominating the ball. So yeah, I think I would go more toward that. Would would you prefer to have Ingram in that spot? Now, obviously, Ingram's a way better player than Beasley is. So in a vacuum, right? Like that's a better lineup because you've got the better player. But if you're going strictly bench unit and Ingram's played with that starting group, would you stagger that or do you like that full bench lineup? Yeah, like. I think it could go either way. Like, I'm just wondering, I'm more just thinking about how is Ingram going to get to his 28 to 32 minutes. And I think long term, you're going to want him playing next to LeBron more in order to get those reps. I also Mm -hmm. think that one of the key ways the Lakers have actually been winning games when everyone is healthy is that Ingram's production has been so good when he's not sharing the floor with LeBron. And we've talked about this before, but... That actually helps prop up your your overall team, right? When sure. you have a player who is so productive not sharing the floor with LeBron. Like, I think that we tend to focus on, oh, well, look how bad his numbers are with LeBron, which is true, and that deserves to be focused on. I also think, though, that the, hey, he actually is pretty helpful when he's not playing next next to LeBron, and don't LeBron teams actually need that? Right. You know what I mean? So I think that it's a double-edged sword. So I'm not trying to necessarily just like say, oh, well, I really like Michael Beasley too. So let's find some minutes for him. I'm just trying to make sure when the overall premise that we started this section off with was like, what like what should the rotation look like? I just don't want to lose sight of the fact that like Ingram can still be a very useful player outside the construct of... Like, oh, well, this is a LeBron team. No, the, yeah. and that's a great point. I guess the this falls under the good problems to have type thing. Beasley has been mostly unavailable for this season for very unfortunate reasons with his mom. And having him kind of back in the fold, presumably for, for good throughout the rest of the season, that's going to be something that, that's going to be really helpful, even if it's not on a every single night type of basis. And there will be nights where separating Brandon and LeBron, right? That's going to be how you get the best out of the overall 48 minutes. Having kind of Beasley as an option there is is really going to be helpful. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. You've been listening to the Lake of Film Room podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound to Vladi. Nice rebound to Vladi. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. Will you get these idiots out of here? <laughs>